Father in heaven, thank you for a new morning and for this opportunity to meet together in this class. We pray that you will bless our purpose here and that you will guide our thinking and that your Holy Spirit will help us to understand the responsibilities that come with uh, an assignment that a church gives to us. I pray that you will direct what I say and what we hear today, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We want to first start out by uh, looking at, in this book, the first uh, chapter deals with Jesus, the model of servant ministry. A deacon or a deaconess or an elder or a personal ministries leader or a pastor, we're all servants. But especially is the deacon and the deaconess ministry a ministry of servanthood. When you look at the scriptures, you find that in Isaiah chapter 61 verses 1 and 2, that Jesus, looking at that, identified his ministry as a servant to the meek, to the brokenhearted, and to captives, and those that mourn. We live in a broken society, correct? Our society is broken, and it's getting more and more broken as the days go by. As a matter of fact, Ellen White, looking at the future from her time, said that things like mental illness would be even more prevalent in the day in which we live. And it is so true today. And that mental illness and that brokenness, and I'm not here to tell you that you are now counselors to, to the mentally ill and, and, and all that, but that we all need to find ways of caring for people is my point. But the brokenness of this world is showing up in a lot of awful ways today, and the violence that we see and almost now becoming used to, oh, it was another shooting of a mass, you know, mass shooting somewhere, and it, I mean, that's almost the way you react when you look at your cell phone or, or hear the news or somebody tells you about it because you're ignoring the news, bless you for doing that. Um, it, it is just the way society is today. And one of the reasons for that is because the Spirit of God is being withdrawn from this world. I firmly believe that. It's very clear that it is. And the Bible and the Spirit of Prophecy make it clear that that's exactly the way it would be in our world today. We are needing to be servants to people. And this is in the church and out of the church. And deacons and deaconesses are servants of people, not just the church. More on that later. In Isaiah 53 verse 11, Isaiah spoke of Jesus as my righteous servant, looking to the future, recognizing that. And Ellen White says in Ministry of Healing, pages 19 and 20, during his ministry, Jesus devoted more time to healing the sick than to preaching. His miracles testified to the truth of his words, and he came not to destroy, but to save. The Savior made each work of healing an occasion for implanting divine principles in the mind and in the soul. This was the purpose of his work. He imparted earthly blessings that he might incline the hearts of men to receive the gospel of grace. The ministry of Christ 
was less preaching and more direct, hands-on ministry and caring for people. You and I are called to that same kind of ministry. In, uh, in our book here, and you see the abbreviation on the screen, here it says TTFCDD. It's an abbreviation of this title up here, all right? So it's referring to this book, but the author, um, Vincent White, said, Jesus taught his disciples that being a servant is more important than the pow than power of demons. Jesus wanted them to recognize than power over demons. Jesus wanted them to recognize the self-destructive danger that comes with a love of power. You and I are called to servanthood, not to authority. Do you understand the difference in what I'm saying? Going on, I want to share this with you. In Desire of Ages, speaking of Christ, rejoice not, or speaking of power, she says, Rejoice not in the possession of power, lest you lose sight of your dependence upon God. Be careful, lest self-sufficiency come in and you work in your own strength, rather than the spirit and strength of your master. Self is ever ready to take the credit if any measure of success attends the work. And then uh, Vincent White says, The concept that Jesus was trying to instill his disciples, that ministry is not about power, control, and greatness as viewed by worldly standards, but it is about service to God and humanity. Why are we talking about this? That is because the biblical concept of a deacon or a deaconess is the concept of rendering service to people. In the Greek, to minister comes from the root which is derived from the word for deacon. So the word for a deacon carries this connotation of ministry and servanthood. It means one who renders service to another, an attendant servant. So that is the foundation for what we need to talk about today. I could give you a job description and you could say, I don't want to do any of that. Or you might see that job description as being an opportunity for authority and power in your church. But God is calling you not to power and authority. God is calling you to servant ministry. Servant ministry means selflessness. It means being willing to take time out of your schedule for the service of others. That means making priority the work that needs to be done in the church. That work is an important work. It is a vital work. It will make the difference between the success of your church in its ministry goal and purpose or failure thereof. The success of the church is dependent upon the strength of its leadership. Elders, deacons, and deaconesses provide the leadership structure for that church. Where that church goes, where your church goes, is not dependent upon whether or not you have Dwight Nelson as your pastor. It is dependent upon whether or not you as elders, deacons, and deaconesses are fulfilling the purpose for which you were called. And you are called. It is a ministry of calling. It is not a nominating committee calling you on the phone. It is the God in heaven calling you to service. 
He's calling you to do something. You thought you were just getting an invitation from the nominating committee to take up the offering on Sabbath morning or to prepare a communion bread. No, that happens to be a task that might come on with the job description, but it is only one small, tiny, itsy-bitsy little piece of what it is God has called you to do. It should take you on those duties no more than a few minutes on Sabbath morning and a little bit of time making the communion bread, and that's all you would do. Now, you understand what I'm doing here, right? You get, you get my drift a little bit. So let's understand what this means in terms of servanthood. Again, thinking of Jesus as a servant. Ellen White says in Desire of Ages, page 550, among his disciples, Christ was in every sense a caretaker, a burden bearer. He shared their poverty. He practiced self-denial on their account. He went before them to smooth the more difficult places and soon he would consummate his work on earth by laying down his life. The principle on which Christ acted is to actuate the members of the church, which is his body. God is calling upon us to follow in the footsteps of Jesus in ministering to the needs of the congregation. Ministering to the congregation is not just taking their money from them on Sabbath morning. It means actually caring enough about them to go into their homes and talk to them and pray with them. It means also sharing the gospel with people who don't know about the gospel. It means all of these kinds of pieces. I want to warn you that if you've not sat in one of these classes before, you will find that I'm going to share some things with you that will excite you just with the idea of the possibility of what can happen in ministry. Or it will overwhelm you with, seriously, this is what I signed up for? And then if you get to that point, here's my suggestion to you. Don't get to that point. Understand that when we, you start thinking that way, that really it is an opportunity and that God simply wants you to take the next step. You didn't start school in first grade and realize, you know, talk to uh, some uh, neurosurgeon somewhere and in first grade, wow, I've got to learn all of that by then and do all of that. I'm going to quit now before I even have to. No, you, you start where you are and you take the steps along the way in order to be able to do the work that God has given you to do. Uh, Vincent White, again in this uh, textbook, said, Therefore it is evident that Jesus' ministry as a servant provides the theological foundation for the ministry of deacon and deaconess. As deacons and deaconesses follow Jesus' example, they are to enlist the members of the church into a life of service. You see, the truth is, everyone from the pastor to the, that almost sounds right, from the, from the members all the way down to the pastor, I like that better, don't you like going that direction? I like that better. Um, every one of us are called to be servants. That's what God has asked us to do. 
every one of us. That's why Jesus set the example, not just so that, that ministers could be servants, not just so that elders can be servants, but that we could all be servants. When we all serve others, the world's a better place. And that's the way God wants it to be. Of course, Satan doesn't want it to be that way for sure. By the way, there is a sign-up sheet, a couple of them coming around on clipboards, and I want to make sure they get around to everyone, and so far they seem to be doing good. Get them back to Dean. Dean, you're doing a great God, job here. I'm going to have to come up with a reward for you of some sort. I don't know what it is. Servant ministry. That's it. He's exa an example of servant ministry. There. That's, that's it. So, I want to talk uh, a little bit about the role of the deacons and, uh, in the first century Christian church to begin to help us to understand what the role of the deacon is. We have a theological foundation now. By the way, again, that was the first chapter in this book. I'm not looking at it directly. I put it up on the screen so that we can move ahead. I encourage you to read this book and to look through it and, and see that. I'm moving into chapter 2 now, the role of deacons in the first century Christian church. I want to talk about this a little bit and be able to identify what the whole uh, situation there is about. I have my Bible in my office over here. I forgot to bring it with me, but maybe you have a Bible on your phone or whatever. But I want to look it up real quick here for Acts chapter 6, and I'm going to read it to us. It's uh, actually in your book, by the way. Go to chapter 2. I just remembered it's in there. And let's just read it out of there. We'll do that. It's uh, written right here for us. Acts chapter 2, verses one, uh, 6, I'm sorry, verses 1 through 8. And we are on page 7 of your textbook. I encourage you to write your name in here. Uh, all these books tend to look exactly alike. So if you want to make sure you get yours with your notes in it or whatever, be sure and put your name on it. The Bible verse here is this. And in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, Is it not reason that we should leave the word... Um, it is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. And the word of God increased, and the word number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith, and Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. This is a powerful passage in terms of describing the work of a deacon and by uh, association deaconesses, and I'll explain that association here a little bit as we go on. But the interesting thing is the scenario and the results. What was it that caused the 
the uh, need for deacons to be appointed, and what was the result of that? We often fail to recognize that there was a, an immediate um, primary result of appointing deacons, but there was an even greater and more significant secondary result of appointing deacons. And we're going to look at that here in the next couple of moments. I want you to keep your eye on what was happening. First of all, I want you to note that there was a division between the Grecian Jews and the Palestinian Jews. And uh, the reason for the division was they were human beings like us. Sometimes we have divisions in our church, right? It can be all kinds of reasons for those. It can be similar to what it was there. One of them was language. It was a language barrier and difference there. Even though most people spoke Greek, it still meant that there were some other nuances. And those nuances not only were related to language, but associated also with culture. And there were those barriers between even Christians. Remember, all of these Christians had not been Christians before. You with me? All of them. These were all new Christians. None of these Christians were second or third generation Christians. None of them. <laughs> they were all first generation. So they were all learning how to be Christians. What's our excuse? But they were learning how to be Christians, and they were coming from their background, and just like us, they were struggling with being able to uh, associate together and lay aside those barriers that come from language and, and culture and uh, etc. They were united by the Holy Spirit with harmony, love. They were in one accord when we came to the day of Pentecost, which was only shortly before what we see happen in Acts chapter uh, uh, 6. And they had all things in common. Those were fantastic moments together. Challenges, yes, that the Christian church experienced, but nonetheless still harmony, love, of one accord, all things in common. These were working together. But you know the devil is not just ignoring what's going on in the church. The church was growing. On the day of Pentecost, it grew from a relative handful to over 3,000 in a single day. That was powerful for that small church in that growth experience. But with growth comes challenge. The unity, unfortunately, was short-lived because as they grew, they didn't grow as rapidly in their spiritual development. And as a consequence, there were feelings of distrust, jealousy, and suspicion, which led to fault-finding and murmuring. There were allegations that the Grecian widows were being neglected. Ellen White says in Acts of the Apostles, page 88, that they were neglected in the daily distribution of assistance. It was the widows that were especially uh, suffering at this time. Remember the background and the historical setting of what was happening. There was no social service structure in the world at that time, correct? 
they couldn't go down and sign up with uh, local government and say, well, I'm a widow and I've got no income. And they uh, said, okay, we'll start giving you money and food and so on. That, that organizational structure did not exist. It did, though, exist within the church because the members of the church cared about one another and they were caring for those that could not care for themselves. In those days, women, and widows especially, were very dependent on whatever they could provide for themselves, in some cases, which was almost nothing. Unless they had some kind of a business that they did or whatever, it was very difficult for them to even be able to survive. And the church responded to that need by providing for them. Remember, the church had all things in common. But as the church grew, it wasn't just like you and I sitting together where we took all our food together for potluck and had it together. They now had maybe four or 5,000 people that they were having to take care of, and that takes organization. Just like anything else does when you get a lot of people together, in order to be able to have things move smoothly, just like camp meeting, it takes a lot of organization and planning. And so, as the church developed and that was happening, naturally, feelings got in the way. If someone came up short or appeared to be neglected, and I say appeared because it's not clear whether they actually were being neglected or whether it just appeared that they were being neglected. And when you get all these kinds of elements working in, in the lives of people, you're not sure whether it's reality or not, but the trouble is perception is reality, isn't it? And for the Christian church, that was what was going on at that particular time. Vincent White says, therefore we trace the roots of the office of deacons as we, therefore we trace it. We discover that the reason that they came into existence was to serve and to share the responsibilities of the work. They came into existence because of a problem. You exist because there's a problem. You exist if you're a deacon or a deaconess because there's a problem in the world as well as in the church. It may not be just that problem, but it is because there are problems that need to be ministered to. If there weren't problems that people experienced, pastors wouldn't have any work, elders wouldn't need to worry, and there wouldn't be need for deacons and deaconesses. But if there were, weren't uh, sin in the world, we wouldn't need hospitals, we wouldn't need police and fire departments, all of those kinds of things. They all exist, and a lot of what we do in life exists because there are problems in the world. And usually that's what we're doing, is we're solving problems. In some cases, we're creating problems so that other people can come and solve them. It seems to be the cycle of the economy in our world today. Uh, whatever. The problem is that there was a problem in the church, and that problem needed to be solved, and because of that, the deacons were appointed. Ellen White describes the problem this way. She says the enemy succeeded in arousing the suspicions of some who had formerly been in the habit of looking with jealousy on their brethren in the faith and of finding fault with their spiritual leaders. I'm so glad that that was only a problem in the first century church, but we don't have that problem anymore, right? 
So consequently, we have job security, the need for deacons and deaconesses, because those personality issues, those spiritual problems still exist. Satan brings about a spiritual attack on God's church. He did it in the first century. He will continue to do it until the Lord returns because the devil does not want the church to function. The church needed men of spiritual stature to look at the need and bring about a resolution. The spiritual qualities required of the deacons of the first century Christian church strongly imply that their calling was a spiritual calling. I would like you to do me a favor, please. I'm going to go back and I'm going to point at that statement. I'd like you to read it out loud with me again. Here it is. Are you ready? The spiritual qualities required of the deacons of the first century Christian church strongly imply that their calling was a spiritual calling. You notice that so far in the time that we spent together, which is 35 minutes, Except for my somewhat disparaging remark about taking up the offering and preparing communion bread, we've not even talked about that, have we? This calling that you have is a spiritual calling. You're called to spiritual leadership. You're not called simply to check off a list of items that you need to do. You're called to be spiritual leaders. In order to be spiritual leaders, you must be spiritual people. You and I must be individuals who are surrendered and committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. You cannot be a spiritual leader unless Jesus is in charge of your life, unless he's giving you a spiritual experience that is befitting of a spiritual leader. And I purposely repeated that word again and again. This is about spiritual experience. If you take the deacons and deaconesses uh, handbook, which all of you don't have, you will find that in the beginning of that book, and you're just going to have to trust me with this right now, you find that there's a similar structure here to, uh, to this book that we are using as our handbook and that's a good part. The first chapter, pardon me? The first, I'm actually in the table of contents. <laughs> the first chapter is titled The Ministry of Deacons and Deaconesses, The Biblical Foundation. Then it says in chapter 2, The Church We Serve. Chapter 3 is The Ministry of a Deacon and Deaconess, Alan White's Perspective, which is part of what we've been doing and will continue to do. Chapter 4 is the importance of the office, and chapter 5 is the quali qualification for the office, and chapter 6 is the spiritual dimensions and growth. That, those are the first six chapters of the Deacon and Deaconess's Handbook. So that gives you an idea of the depth and the foundation of the work that you and I are called to do in this particular perspective. I want to just refer to the qualifications that are listed in the handbook. The first one is, and this is uh, based upon 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 to 12. The first qualification is a good reputation. 
you are elected to your position because of the fact that you are an individual who has a good reputation in the church. Um, secondly, Paul speaks of deacons and by association deaconesses as being full of the Holy Spirit. Again, full of wisdom. There are also some lifestyle qualifications, worthy of respect, truthful in speech, temperate, honest, lead a consistent life, be beyond reproach, be responsible spouses, be godly parents, manage the family well. It is a spiritual foundation that we are laying. I'm not going to take any more time to talk about that today, but I wanted to place the emphasis there. I wanted to make sure that we have that setting there. I want to take a little while, but not too much time, to address the issue that I've already alluded to. So far, we've, seen, we've been talking about, biblically speaking, we've been talking about deacons. Where did the whole concept and the idea of deacons come in? Let me pause for a moment and tell you about this book and its structure and its authors so that you have a little bit of an idea of what is in here. This is uh, written by a Seventh-day Adventist minister who had a real passion for strengthening the deacons and deaconesses work in the local church. And as a result of that passion, it developed into a real focus for him. Um, if you look at the back of uh, this book, it says the author, Dr. White, is a graduate of Oakwood University, has a BA in theology and social work, has an MDiv and a DMIN from the Andrews Theological Seminary, an MSW from the University of Kentucky, and has CPE training from the University of Tennessee. I think he has some education. But then it says, Dr. White has a passion for learning and teaching, is an ordained minister of 27 years, and has conducted training seminars for deacons and deaconesses throughout North America. It's my understanding, I'm based upon what I've uh, kind of uh, worked with, uh, trying to see if I can put my finger on why I'm about to say what I am. I don't have my marked up book, and so I'm having a little disadvantage. But uh, I know he got a D-min, and I believe he did his D-min on the subject. When you read this book, it reads a little bit like um, a lay version of a dissertation. You understand what I'm trying to say? There's a, it's kind of laid out that way, but here's what's in it. It's a study from all different sources, both biblical, Adventist and non-Adventist sources to try to understand the history of deacons and deaconesses over the years. I think you all know that deacons and deaconesses started with the early Christian church and they continued on all through the Christian church and the Seventh-day Adventists weren't the first ones to realize that there should be deacons and deaconesses in the church, right? What does that mean? That means that the Christian churches of all denominations out and down through history have applied these principles in ways that worked within their structure, within their time, within their, um, 
within their context of history. All of those things are reflected in here. So he does a, an exhaustive study about how all these things apply and interrelate. All right, now that I've said that, the reason I did is because when you read this book, you'll notice he quotes from non-Adventist sources and he does all of this kind of thing. It's because he's working from the very complete, exhaustive direction. But by the time he gets done and comes into the end of the book and applies this to the work of the deacon and deaconess, not only in the 20 and 21st century, but in the context of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, he comes back to his own source again and his own context, and he applies it for us uh, biblically and under the basis of the spirit of prophecy. Now, one of the reasons I'm saying that is because I want to talk to you a little bit about this aspect, female deacons, and uh, in the first century. Um, it's a little bit of a convoluted study in the sense of it's, uh, it's an interesting way of doing it. I'm going to try to summarize it for you, but it's in chapter 3. This is what you see here on page 13 of your textbook. And uh, by the way, I find it a little bit fascinating, and I'm wondering just how much influence his book had on this handbook, because this book came out before the handbook did. And I noticed that the first three, three chapters are almost directly in line with the book, uh, this book's chapters, and I am suspicious that that had something to do with it. I don't think, no, this one actually comes from the General Conference. But I'm sure that they knew that he had written what he wrote and that there was some interaction here. I didn't bother to look at the preface and see if he was a, a mentioned, but... Um, where does it say that? You know, sure enough, it might have been an earlier version because this is a later version. And he might have, he might indeed have done that. Thank you. I don't know why that it just didn't dawn on me. Thank you. <laughs> Very likely possible. At any rate, he talks here about female deacons and deacon, uh, female deacons. And I'm going to summarize it this way. The Bible is not abundantly clear in terms of the role of deaconesses. But there were some things that naturally developed because of the needs of society. Again, I want to go back to you and remind you that the deacons were appointed in Acts chapter 6 to this particular work. But as the church continued to function, there were no hospitals, there was no social service structure, there was none of that kind of structure. The need wasn't just for feeding widows. What would happen if you, let's just say you have, you're a family of five maybe in those days, I don't know, 10 in your family, a mother and father and eight kids, and everybody in the family got sick. In that day and age, what would happen to you? You lived from hand to mouth. You lived by what you could grow in the field. You lived by what you could do. What if you couldn't do it? Who is going to care about you? the family. But what if everybody in the family is sick and cannot function for a period of time? Who's going to care about your needs? That's where the church stepped in. And the role of deacons and deaconesses developed over a period of time. And the history of this we find in a number of different places. We find the names of, of people on, on graves 
that appear to be the names of, uh, of a deacon with a female version of the name. That's just my way of uh, trying to put it here. I should be giving it to you exactly as he says here. It appears that what happened is that there was a husband deacon married to um, his wife, and that as he would serve the church, that the needs of the women in the church would often be met by his wife. You can imagine that if uh, there was a lady in the church who was sick, it's not going to be the deacon who's ministering to the man, to the woman. It's going to be a woman ministering to the woman. And so that was my, this is my oversimplified version of how the deaconess role developed in the early Christian church in ministering these various needs. And over time, those needs began to be fulfilled by women and the work that they were doing began to be recognized and you start seeing the concept of a deaconess developing there in the Christian church. Now, for the sake of time, I'm going to leave it at that, except to mention one other thing. In this book, Vincent White speaks to an interesting use that word a few times here, a challenging area that uh, spills over uh, into a debate that's going on in the Seventh-day Adventist Church right now, and that has to do with the issue of ordination. Um, one of the suggestions that he has, because he talks in here about why is it that we that the deacons and deaconesses don't really understand the value and the importance of the role that they have in the church. And one of the reasons he says, that is his opinion, and I want to emphasize that is his opinion, is that because we have not valued that work and recognized that work as we should. He argues in this book for the ordination of deaconesses to their responsibility and their task. He points out in this book, because this book came out before 2015 when we had a major general conference session dealing with the subject of the ordination of women to pastoral ministry. He points out in his book, he said, I'm not talking about that. I'm not dealing with that issue. I am not relating to that issue at all. It's got nothing at all to do with what I'm sharing. But he does point out something. There is a very brief historical record of some Seventh-day Adventist ministers, including William, Willie C. White, ordaining a woman, a woman to deaconess ministry. Um, it also appears that Ellen White made a brief comment about it. It makes me a little nervous and a lot of us nervous when we take a whole lot of theology off of one little statement or one little historical record. But I will tell you this. I will tell you that um, the church manual permits the ordination of women to the work of a deacon. S. Okay? It's in the church manual. The church has voted that. It comes based upon uh, some of the things that I've already shared with you. It's not done very frequently in the Seventh-day Adventist Church, in North America even, um, and not very widely even in Michigan. 
It is permitted, um, but it is not emphasized. And I'm not here to emphasize it today, but you're going to read this book and you're going to see that information in there. I want to, number one, remind you it has nothing to do with the discussion of the ordination of women in relationship to being pastors. It has only to do with the relationship of this situation. But I will caution you that it is by association with that whole thing still, um, still an issue where it can be somewhat concerning in a local church. So don't just assume that you should go back if you're a deaconess and say, I want to be ordained and it's permitted and so on. Be real careful with that because that can go a whole lot farther than it needs to and become more of an issue in your church than it needs to be. So be real careful with that and allow God to lead as, as needs to be led. Whether it is a good thing or a bad thing, let, you know, it may need to be kind of sorted out in time. And maybe it just isn't all that an important an issue overall. I'm going to leave that conversation right at this point. I'm not, you notice I'm being very neutral on this. I'm not having a conversation. I've only given you some information about it because that information is there. By the way, another resource that you need to have that I am not providing for you is the church manual. You need to have a church manual. The job description of deacons and deaconesses is in that church manual and other very important information that you need. You're a significant spiritual leader of the local church. You need to know how the church functions. You need to know the policies of the church. You need to understand those principles that are there so that you can guide the church because that helps keep the church united together. What year was that? Uh, the new one was printed in 2015 or the date that's on it was 2015. It actually was printed in 2016 and uh, hey, even had to have given a revision to that which doesn't usually happen because they was a little bit of a mistake that they found that they put in that one. Um, you all understand the church manual is rewritten every five years. After the general conference session, all the changes that are there are applied. That takes editorial time. So they're voted at the general conference session, then they're worked out editorially, and then it takes about a year before that new uh, manual comes out. And we're right in the middle of the, between the sessions right now. That manual exists, and uh, you can get a copy if you don't have one at the ABC as well. I would like to go on now and start talking about some of the things you really wanted to hear about. What does a deacon and a deaconess do? Um, first of all, I forgot, I need to tell you a little bit about it in the Adventist Church. The development of the Adventist Church, the, people, the Adventist Church came out of other denominations. Do you understand that, right? In 18, uh, early 1800s, 1830s and 40s, all of these different denominations were learning about the second coming of Christ. They became part of the Millerite movement, but these people were all from their churches. A lot of them were from the Christian connection. Many were others were Methodists and Baptists and so on and so forth. All of that um, was the background. So those people came into these particular roles of deacons, deacons, S's and elders and whatever out of the structure of their own church and also out of the need. When they started, the Seventh-day Adventist Church was a fledgling organization. 
They were resisting organization, period. It wasn't until 1860s that we begin to see organization develop. Michigan Conference was the first conference. Then the General Conference formed in 1863. It became the Seventh-day Adventist Church. But during that time, the church was growing and there were some structures that were needed. So you see a little bit of that in the history of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Deacon is referred to in the Ellen White writings 15 times, but only four times relate to their ministry. Deacon S is in the writings of Ellen White 18 times and only three times related to their ministry. The first area of reference is how the deacons manage the wine used in the communion services. The reason for that is because the managing of the bread and the wine for the communion service was a big issue. You and I today, when we need grape juice for communion service, run out to Myers and buy it, or Kroger's. But they had to make it and squeeze it. And maybe they, if they did it ahead of time, they had to make sure that they didn't do it so far ahead of time that it became wine. It was a real issue. Sorry, but I feel like I have something crawling on my leg and I want to make sure there isn't something. I have ants in my trailer, so I'm nervous. <laughs> we finally figured out how to stop them, so that's good. So this was the focal point that we see here, and it was becoming a big deal because some of that grape juice was turning before it got to the communion table, and they wanted to make sure that that wasn't happening. There wasn't refrigeration like we have today, and there wasn't pres preservation techniques that we have today, and so that's why those things came up. Another area was the handling of tithe. Remember, the church was small, was an infant organization, and the members were scattered broadly around. How did the tithe get in? You take, on Sabbath morning, you take up the tithes and offerings in your church because everybody comes to church, because they come to fellowship and meet together. But these people were scattered geographically all over the place. And sometimes the weather, just like here in Michigan is the case, sometimes people didn't get to church. Well, guess what the deacons did? They went and got the offering and the tithes and offerings from the people there to make sure that the church could continue to function because they might not get to church for a significant period of time. They went to their people's homes to collect it, and that was part of that. Just a little bit of a sidelight of how the work was focused in, in the early Adventist church. A third area of reference pertained to the ordination of deacons. Some evidences of the ordination of deaconesses, and I mentioned all of that already. So, the ministry of deacons and deaconesses as teachers is the first thing that I want to place some emphasis on today. If you take your... Um, book here, textbook, and you look at, you look at chapter 8, page 49. What I want you to recognize is that I'm going to place a lot of emphasis on some of the job description of the deacon and deaconess today. We won't get through all of this by any stretch today. We only have about 15 minutes left, but I'm getting into it now, and then tomorrow we will finish this work. I need to set the foundation of this work, and now we'll get into it. The first is that deacons and deaconesses are te teachers of God's Word. 
When uh, the nominating committee called you and asked you to be a deacon, how many of you are deaconesses in your church? Those of you that have just raised your hands, keep them up. How many of you is this your first time being a deaconess? Keep your hand up if that's the case. All right, so you're the first, you're, this is your first chance, and don't be ashamed of that. That's good. You've got to start somewhere, right? Many of you have been deacon, deaconesses before. How about any deacons in here? Okay, got deacons in here? Any newbies? In other words, this is the first time you've been asked to be a deacon? Okay, great. I love it. I like both because that gives us synergy together. We learn from each other, don't we? Those who are just learning along with those who have experience. But there are some times when we have experience that isn't always good. Moses had to go out in the wilderness for 40 years. It took him 40 years to unlearn all he learned in Egypt. I don't know if it's going to take you 40 years to unlearn all the stuff you may have learned, but one of the things you may have learned is that your job is taking up the offering or preparing communion bread, and that's all you have to do. You see, when the nominating committee called you and asked you to be a deacon or a deaconess in your church, they probably asked you if you were willing to, take, to be a deacon or a deaconess, and you said, well, I don't know what a deacon or a deaconess does. Oh, they just take up the uh, offering on Sabbath morning, and uh, the deaconesses also help to take care of the communion uh, bread and prepare for a baptism. And that's probably the job description that you got when the nominating committee called you. Anybody get that kind of a call? Tell the truth. So far, I haven't even talked about that. And as a matter of fact, I won't talk about any of that until tomorrow. Because that is so far down the list of things that need to be done in the local church and as part of the job description of deaconess, deaconesses, I don't want to spend time on it. And secondly, you already know that, so I don't need to tell you all of that. You didn't come to a class to, uh, like this for me to tell you that. But what I do want to place the emphasis is on is the real calling that you have. You're not ordained to this work so that you can take up the offering. And I sure can take up the offering. As a matter of fact, I see it a lot of times. I go into churches, little churches, and the deacon, there's no deacon or I happen to be there that day, and they ask uh, Johnny, who's five, I mean, 15 years old, to take up the offering. You don't need to be ordained to take up the offering. You're ordained because you're a spiritual leader who's going to provide spiritual leadership based upon the Word of God to your members, which includes teaching them the Word of God. That means going to people's homes and encouraging them. When you go and visit somebody in their home, you will find that they will have questions. They may have questions about the Bible, and you will be able to pick up the Bible and give them answers from the Word of God, not pick up the phone and call the pastor and say, they're asking me a biblical question, I don't have the answer. Now, that I all said with effect. There may be times when you will need to call the pastor and ask for help, all right? I've got 40 years of pastoral experience. I call pastors occasionally and say, help, I don't understand this. Can you help me? It's okay to do that. But my point is that God has called you, and you are spiritual people yourselves. You study the Word of God yourself. You pray to the Lord Jesus every day. You spend time with Him. You can tell people what you know. And people in people's homes can benefit from what your experience is. As a matter of fact, that's why God has called you, and maybe not the pastor, to help that person at that particular time. 
But there are times when you would want to have other people with you so that you give them good answers and so on and so forth. But teachers of the Word of God. Now there's two parts to that. The first is, many of our people in our church, I'm not just going to say some, but I'm going to be bold enough to say many of our people in our churches are not converted. Are not converted. Okay? At the very least, some of the members in our church are not converted. They need to be growing spiritually. You, as you minister to those church members, are helping them to grow spiritually. You are teaching them the Word of God by ministering to them. Maybe on Sabbath morning you are doing some of that. You might even teach a Sabbath school class as a deacon or deaconess. But you might also go to their homes and minister to them. That's one. That's within the church. Secondly, you might also be teaching the Word of God and should be teaching the Word of God by giving Bible studies to people. The reason for that is because you are called, first of all, to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Long before you were ever called to be a deacon or a deaconess, you were called upon to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is first. As a matter of fact, you should never have been asked to be a deacon or a deaconess if you weren't recognized first as a disciple of Jesus. Am I overstating myself? Now, a disciple of Jesus is one who's also leading other people to Jesus, just like the disciples in the early church did. And if you're not giving Bible studies, that's okay. That's one of those little things that I told you about that you're going to want to put on your list of. I need to start learning how to do that. All right? So from here, you go and you get a hold of Mark Howard and ask him to come and do an Emmanuel training at your church so that all of you can learn how to give Bible studies and be able to function in that particular capacity in teaching the Word of God. We often quote the story of Stephen, but we forget that Stephen and Philip were deacons as well as preachers and teachers of the Word of God. And that's what God has called upon us to do. At our level, with our experience, Continuing to grow with that. That's part of your job description. All right. I'm going to move on because I want to bring up another one. Caregivers to the sick and the needy. Now I'm looking at the next chapter, which is chapter 9, page 53. Deacons and deaconesses as caregivers to the sick and needy. Again, I'll come back to the illustration that I gave you and then try to put it into the context of today. Um, the historical context was there was no social structure to care for the needs, the physical needs and even the emotional needs of people during the first centuries and the years that followed. Not until we come to the perhaps the 19th, the 20th, and the 21st centuries, do we have the kind of social structure that we have in the world, a lot of the world, at least the first world, and the, in places like the United States, where we have that kind of a structure where you get sick, you go to the ER or urgent care or whatever, and have those kinds of needs. But there are still needs where we can minister to our people in our church, we don't have to be professional doctors and nurses to provide care that the sick need. I think you understand what that would be, but let's just say that there's a, 
um, a lady in your church who's just had surgery. And as a deaconess, you find out about that surgery and uh, you let her know that you're praying for her. Well, that's a good place to start, right? You may even go visit her in the hospital. Oh, wow. I didn't say the pastor went to visit her in the hospital. I said the deaconess, you, the deaconess, went to visit her in the hospital. Find out how she's doing. Maybe ask the question, now when you go back home, how are things going to be? Are you going to be able to uh, um, provide for yourself? Well, there's a lot of social structure that helps to do that. Sometimes a social worker will come in or a visiting nurse will come in. But are they going to provide the meals for that individual? Do they have family members that are going to provide that? Wow, what would happen if a deaconess did that? Yeah, food train, that's another, uh, uh, exactly. That's the kind of thing that can happen where the church is ministering to people in that kind of a circumstance. I remember uh, I came out of my home uh, one day. Uh, actually, I happened to be on a Sabbath that I came home. And it was a nice, bright, sunny day. And I hadn't seen my neighbors for a little while and, and uh, saw them out there. And I, I had noticed that I hadn't seen uh, them a lot outside. That's not all that unusual. We're all busy people and didn't think much of it. But in getting to talk to them, I found out that my neighbor, he and his wife, were really great people. Well, they have since moved. But um, she had had uh, some kind of a brain issue. Uh, I think one of these things where you get uh, blood vessels all clogged up together and she had to have that dealt with. And so she'd been in the hospital for a long time. And I thought to myself, wow, I wish I'd realized that because we could have used that as an opportunity to reach out to them if I had realized that was going on. I remember as a pastor that some of our church members complained about the fact that nobody ever cared about them if they were sick or had any problems or, or whatever that just seemed like the church just didn't care. You know what? That's exactly the way most churches feel, especially if you're on the other end of being sick or the sick end of things or issues that you're facing because the church just seems to be going on with it. And if you stop coming because you get sick, Nobody calls you, nobody cares about you, nobody knows what's going on, nothing's going on. Caregivers is an important function for deacons and deaconesses. Also, meeting the needs of the needy. The economy seems to be good right now, but that doesn't mean that there aren't people in your church who have no food on their shelves. How are you going to know that they don't? By sending... Uh, calling on the phone and saying, oh, we're just checking to see if you've got food in your, in your house. Really? That's what you're going to do? I don't think you're going to get a straight answer from that kind of thing, and they're going to ask you another question. Why are you asking? <laughs> right? You learn things like that by a relationship, by getting to know people. Now, there are some families who were more than happy to tell, we'd be more than happy to tell you, they have absolutely nothing. But often those people are the people that are used to taking advantage of society and have yet to learn how to function and to work out those kinds of things, which, by the way, is another aspect of caregiving to the needy that you as a deacon or deaconess, maybe elders as well, need to think about. How are you going to deal with that? But that's another side to that I don't want to deal with right now. The issue of meeting the needs of the needy is an important function. 
And part of the way that you know that is by going to people's homes and opening up their cupboards and look. No, that's not what I'm saying. <laughs> by going to their homes and getting acquainted with them, becoming their friends, becoming spiritual connected, spiritually connected with those people. As you become friends with them, people who have legitimate needs and challenges that they may be embarrassed to say to people, they may be willing to share with you as you become their friends. As you become brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, they may be more willing and able to open up to you about their needs. That's why elders, you need to be working together with the deacons and deaconesses in establishing a visitation process in your church so that you are providing a structure in your church for the care uh, and keeping of the members of your church. So you are caregivers to the sick and the needy. We have community services centers in many of our churches. But most of the time, they are more concerned about the needs of people outside of the church than they are inside of the church. And that's not all bad, except that there are people in the church who are just as needy of assistance from community services as people that are outside the church. And we need to recognize that we are an organization that cares about everybody and doesn't penalize a person because they happen to be a member of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Was that too strong? Now, I've been on the community service side of things. I know what, that, what I just said and all the ramifications of what I just said. And that's a pretty important function. I want to mention another one here, and that goes to the next chapter, which I believe is chapter number 10. <clears throat> Page 59, deacons and deaconesses as conflict managers. And this is where we'll end today and where we'll pick up tomorrow. What was the situation in Acts chapter 6 that generated the need uh, for deacons and deaconesses? What was it? It was a... It, it was a need, right? It was a problem in the need. But it was also a conflict, wasn't it? It was a, an argument back and forth. They were fighting among themselves because they weren't getting what they thought they should be receiving. Conflict management was the starting event and the starting role of deacons in the Christian church. It is the least, con least considered concept today in the Seventh-day Adventist Church and even in the Christian Church of what it is the job and duty of deacons and deaconesses. It's the pastor's job to solve the conflict. It's the pastor's job to give the Bible studies. It's the pastor's job to visit the sick. It's the pastor's job to prepare people for baptism. It's the pastor... Do you get a little bit of a theme running in what I just said and yet I've been talking about many of those things in the last few minutes and I never mentioned it was the job of the pastor but I mentioned it was the job of the deacon and the deaconess to be doing that kind of work so what I'm doing today is I am raising the bar of understanding about what your role is 
but I'm not providing the training that you need in order to be able to do those tasks. That may have to come a little bit later, a little bit tomorrow, but even more when you go back to your churches and you work together in, in relationship to this. Conflict management is a huge deal. It's not as complicated as you think it is because sometimes it's just a matter of brothers and sisters talking to each other. But it means that the deacons and deaconesses have a role of leadership in ensuring that this work of solving conflict is cared for and not by picking the phone up and calling the pastor, Pastor, you've got a problem in the church. I just want you to know, bye. Okay? Because the elders, the deacons, and the deaconesses need to be able to work together for this particular purpose as well. We'll talk about that more tomorrow. I want to finish by taking you back to the first chapter of our study today. Actually, oh yeah, on Monday. I'll come back to that in just a minute. Look at page 7. Page 7, chapter 2. I said chapter 1, but chapter 2. I want to remind you of the problem that existed, but the result of the solution. Notice that um, down in the, I'm reading from Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 8, and there's probably roughly 10, uh, I mean 20 sentences there, probably about five from the bottom. It says, and the word of God increased. Do you see that? And the number of disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. And a great company of priests were obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles. It's not just coincidental that those things are in that order. Ellen White specifically talks to that. The result of the appointing of deacons, and I will add deaconesses to the church, the early Christian church, was that it exploded numerically. One of the reasons the Seventh-day Adventist Church is not growing the way it should today is because deacons and deaconesses are not doing their job. And the reason they're not doing their job is because we haven't been teaching them how to do it. So the responsibility comes back on me as a pastor, me as a conference leader, which is why I have a passion for doing this class of camp meeting and in your local churches. And I have done it after camp meeting. People have come to me and said, please come to our church and teach this class. And I've gone and done that. I'd love to come to your church and help with that. Get your district, your three churches in your district together or the whole district. If you're in district two, I'll come to the whole district. Whatever. Happy to teach that. Because we need to see the work of God finished. And it will be finished when we start working together, doing the work that God has given us, the way that God has given us to do that work so that it can be accomplished. Thank you, Lord, for being with us today as we end our class. We want to thank you that you saw the needs of your church and you gave to everyone an opportunity to serve. And especially deacons and deaconesses are called just by definition of the word deacon to the role of ministry and service to the local church and to the community. As we talk more about that tomorrow, I pray that you will guide and direct us 
Help us not to be overwhelmed by the possibilities or the responsibility, but to realize that what you call us to, you are able to empower us to do. As we go to our places and our other opportunities today, may we continue to grow in our walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.